Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery Podcast WikiHole. You know what a WikiHole is. We've all been there. You look up a certain celebrity to see how tall they are and whether they've said anything cringe about vaccines. Before you know it, you're 10 minutes into reading about something called a toast sandwich. That's basically what it's like to listen to WikiHole, only funnier. Every episode is a new rabbit hole to explore with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends, loaded with unforgettable new information you'll literally never need to know. And that's why it's great. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a guest comes on to play a clip of one of their jokes and then discusses how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. I'm going to say this right away. This episode is different uh, for a few reasons. First, our guest, Dennis Feitoza. Though he has a background of you know traditional live stand-up, sketch improv, his primary medium, especially for the last year, is YouTube a a place I am incredibly unfamiliar with. Um, I also realized this was going to be unusual when I actually started digging into Dennis's Def Noodles channel, which currently has around 500,000 subscribers. See, Def Noodles is a character, supposedly, in the style of the Colbert Report era, Stephen Colbert. Actually, um, it might help if I read the disclaimer that Dennis puts on the Def Noodles channel. This is the d- disclaimer. Uh, Def Noodles is a character created by Dennis Feitoza meant to satirize some of the most deranged, toxic, and destructive aspects of internet culture. Def Noodles borrows from Twitter outrage, modern-day commentary cynicism, excessive clickbait, trolling, buzzword hacking, cancel culture, and outright pandering to righteous indignation to reflect on the realities of contemporary social media interactions and media coverage. The opinions and thoughts expressed by Def Noodles are not a reflection of Dennis Feitoza's beliefs. This disclaimer applies to all Def Noodle social media platforms. Sounds good. Uh, but my experience diving down the rabbit hole of his work and also sort of the very weird backlash to it, truly, it is the backlash to it is the weirdest thing I've ever consumed. Uh, it reminded me less of Colbert and more of Andy Kaufman, specifically when Andy Kaufman used to wrestle women in the 80s in that it's not always clear which part is real and which part is a joke and what the joke even is sometimes. And and as much as he says it's all a character, I don't know if I always believe him. You know, he, he clearly gets something out of reporting in his way about this world. And he knows so many people's names. And I'm like, who are these people? So many names. Oh, and, and I should know, by the if he name drops someone you haven't heard of, just know they're a known YouTuber. And he's only using them as an example to explain a point. You, you don't have to stop and like Google who each of these people are. 
But I I am fascinated by if satire can or cannot work on the internet and and what happens when irony is released without context. Deaf Noodles is is like a discourse tornado. So Dennis provides hot air and it mixes with the internet's cold air and the rest is chaos. He's sort of like pretends to be Batman, but he is maybe Joker. Even after talking to Dennis, my producers and I were unsure which parts were real and which weren't. But for me, it didn't matter. What I found so interesting is the tornado as a whole. And I want you to judge for yourself. Instead of playing one of his daily news aggregation videos, I want to start with a clip from late fall of last year, where after some backlash from the commentary community, Dennis filmed an episode where Deaf Noodles canceled himself. So here is Dennis Feitoza, a.k.a. Deaf Noodles. Today we're going to be talking about the biggest crybaby on the internet. He's extremely sensitive to criticism. He's cringe. He's unfunny. He's toxic. I'm talking about Deaf Noodles. No relation. Now, Deaf Noodles is a drama channel with 480,000 subscribers who pretends to be a comedian because everybody knows he's not and hides behind the guise of satire so he can avoid all criticism. But no matter how hard Deaf Noodles tries to push the narrative that he's a satirical news channel, everybody knows that his jokes are as funny as a stack of napkins. Shh. You're so stupid. Now let's get one thing out of the way immediately, folks. Def Duty likes to call himself a comedian, but everybody knows he's not really a comedian. He doesn't know what a joke sounds like. He's never been inside a comedy club. I just took a deal and I just got a How'd you win your career? Just a little. You're supposed to hold me down. But you're holding me back, and that's the same. <laughs> Folks, this is absolutely fake. I know for a fact that there was absolutely nobody in the audience. In fact, he stood in that stage in that comedy club completely by himself, filmed this bit, and added a laugh track to it. The only way that this could possibly even be a real tape of Deaf Noodles doing stand-up in front of an actual live human being audience is if one of those actual human beings in the audience started yelling yelling things at the stage. Yeah, I love that song. You guys love it too. Apparently someone was singing with me. That's great. I love Lizzo. That was my wife. What? You're married to Lizzo? No, she's the one singing with you. Oh, okay. Oh, it's not a good sign, buddy. Not a good sign. That was your wife. What, did you just say that's my wife? I don't know, you're drunk. Folks, this Steph Noodles guy is so sneaky. He probably went to an open mic night, paid $5, had all his friends show up, and told them to laugh as loud as possible so that they can make him look funnier than he actually is because everybody knows he's not funny. The only way that I would actually believe that Def Noodles has actually performed in a comedy club where people actually paid to get in is if I actually got to see the lineup. What? 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 Oh, that's the lineup. Huh. From February 11th, 2020. I see Jeremy Piven. That guy from Entourage was on a show with Deaf Noodles? And Jimmy Dory? 
right before him? Folks, that doesn't mean anything. Just because Deaf Noodles has performed in comedy clubs doesn't mean he actually knows anything about comedy. If anything, it means he knows less about comedy because everybody knows that comedy is dead. That's why before the pandemic started, people were paying money to go into clubs and laugh all night. Now that we've debunked that Deaf Noodles is in fact not a comedian, the best thing for us to do before we jump into his videos is to look at his Twitter, which is very problematic. So in this pinned tweet, he put out some guidelines for how his page is going to be run. This is a satirical internet news and commentary page. Now for starters, it's very easy to see that news and commentary is very contradictory, folks. There isn't a single news organization in the world that does news and commentary. Also, he's not the onion. The news he posts is very real and everybody knows that unless you're fabricating a whole blown out story, it's completely impossible to be satirical when you're covering real news. If you read the papers, you know that we Americans live in an unprecedented era of communication technology. From tablets to smartphones to futuristic glasses that instantly send the message, I'm a douche. Yeah, folks, but here's the deal. Stephen Colbert is playing a character. There's zero evidence that Deaf Noodles is actually playing a character. I want to use this channel more uh, and get more of my personality out there so you, you can know more of who I am. Uh, because I do play a character. That guy, the Deaf Noodles guy, he is a part of me, but he's a very specific part of me. Uh, you know, but he's a character. You know, I'm not like that all the time. I can't go to my neighbor and be like, uh, get a grip! You know, like do stuff like that. That's like, you know, <laughs> it's too out there. I don't buy it, folks. Steph Noodles probably uploaded this video half an hour ago. He's just trying to get out of being accountable for his heinous actions. The video was uploaded August 5th. Oh, he uploaded it four months ago. Well, folks, here's the thing. That doesn't mean anything. He's never repeated that again on somebody else's channel to try to explain to them exactly what he's trying to do with his channel. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to justify it, but it, it didn't seem Play like that was... So you're still playing but the character playing... there. You're still you're yes. still doing it. Did you actually yeah. reach even, out for comment? Or is that just a Dude, even the all caps tweet, like, it's all a character. It's all a character. <laughs> I still don't believe Deaf Noodles, folks. He's just trying to justify his actions and avoid accountability for his heinous actions to the public. And folks, when I tell you that they're heinous, they are the most heinous actions you can think of. There is absolutely no way that a person who grew up with theater training and loved playing every type of character on the book and did stand up and performed in every basement in New York City could ever have the idea to come up with an unusual character to present the news and try to transport that character over to Twitter. Deaf Noodles is a farce. At the end of the day, folks, everybody knows that Deaf Noodles is just a rice gum wannabe who's just using satire as a shield so he can avoid criticism. So I am here with Dennis Fetosa. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jesse. Um, so before we dive into the, the YouTube world, I want to get a sense of where you were before Deaf Noodles. Can you just tell me about your comedy pursuits outside of YouTube? I know you're in New York before you moved to LA. So where were you before this this character and this channel? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I always did th theater growing up. Uh, so that was a, a big thing. But when I was living in New York, I, I got really involved with like all the improv theaters and stand up. I was at literally every single improv theater in New York. I was at the Magnet. I was at the Pit. I was at the Annoyance. I was at UCB. I, I just, I love the environment. It's just so creative. I, you know, I did a ton of sketch shows with a ton of people. I was in like 10 different improv teams. And, you know, at one point I was like, uh, I, I wanted to start doing things for myself. So then I started doing stand up. of course, like the, and the way you come up is like, you do a lot of open mics, right? 
so I started doing that. Then I started hosting open mic shows and I started doing club shows, you know, like you start doing the bringers and then you eventually start getting booked. And I, you know, I did shows at, at Eastville. I did shows at uh, the stand. I did a, a bunch of different places. And then eventually I ended up moving out to Los Angeles. And during this whole time, by the way, I was always working like behind the scenes, uh, doing different type of work. Right. Um, so at, at first, like one of my first jobs in New York, when I moved over to, to New York was like, uh, I, I, I shot like vlogs and documentaries for rappers. Got so I, I went on tour with like, I went on tour with currency. He did like this Northeastern tour currency is a rapper from new Orleans. Uh, so I went on tour. I also shot a documentary that, uh, of a concert that he did at the Brooklyn bowl. Uh, and then at, like, I, I, you know, living in New York, I, I worked with a lot of different people. Uh, and then eventually started shooting sketches because of the improv stuff I was doing, started shooting sketches for people. And that led me into, uh, like one of my first paying jobs as a comedy writer, which was, I, I was, uh, I was writing sketches for this social media page, uh, that Univision had called Flama, right. Where they made like, uh, content for Latinx, Latinos, Latinas, uh, and it, I basically wrote about the Brazilian experience in the United States because I'm originally from Brazil. Um, and then from there, I, I built like a small following, you know, from from that. And I started making some content for them. It was mostly about being a Brazilian. Uh, and I started, you know, just uploading consistently on YouTube and trying to figure out and understand the algorithm and Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually I started falling into like the kind of content that I do today. Uh, but it's funny because, you know, like currently I do this like satirical, like, uh, uh, commentary on internet news and things that are happening on social media. Right. And it, it's like formatted, like the soup or like, I'm looking at clips or small bits of information. Mm-hmm. And like I have one liners or I, sometimes I go into like a little bit deeper on the jokes, but like, uh, what I, I've been playing around with this format, like for the last like five years, I remember the first video I tried to do, cause I always wanted to do a soup type show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, uh, it was a three minute news or something like that. And it was just like, I would get a headline. I'd say the headline and I would do a one liner afterwards. Uh, and this was like four or five years ago. Uh, yeah, but I've been, it eventually ended up happening like this, like organically that it, it became this, uh, you know, like, and it was like mostly by accident, like the whole, like I, I, I was shooting in the back of my roommate's kitchen, you know, here in Los Angeles. So I could, it was like a really awful, like background. So I put up a green screen mm-hmm. and I said, I'm going to put up something behind me. And I, I was like, every YouTuber films in their apartment, like their bedroom. So I was like, uh, just going to make a Minecraft bedroom. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how I got like the Minecraft background. The audience liked it. Uh, and then the whole like cat ears thing that ended up becoming like this cat-like persona was also like an accident because my headphones broke at the time. So my, like my roommate only had cat ear headphones. So I ended up wearing it once and the audience loved it. So I kept it, you know, and a lot of what happens on my channel is like, is a result of my like comedy improv training, like just this whole like, yes. And I see something that works. I do it. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's what most people do intuitively, but like improv, like really guides me in the development of what I do. As we're now at the YouTube stage, I want to dive deeper into it. But before uh, we go into it, I, if you can do me a favor, explain some 
terms so the people who don't know that much about youtube know knows what it means can you tell yeah. me like generally what is a commentary channel yeah of course so a commentary channel on youtube is basically uh it's a segment of youtube channels because like just like movies and television there are different genres right like you have asmr which is when people talk like this very low or they make like little i don't have nails so you won't hear anything but mm -hmm. they make very relaxing uh, or there's like mukbangs where they eat a lot of food or uh, you know uh commentary is specifically people commenting on events that are happening either on social media or on youtube itself a lot of it revolves around scandals uh that are happening you know in the community and the, the, like within commentary itself, you have a couple of subgenres. You have T channels, which mm. usually look mostly at like makeup, uh, gossip, and scandals. And then you have the which is more like geared towards gaming. You have like uh, just they they call themselves just like commentary, but it's it, it, I would say it's more like gaming commentary, where it's like either somebody in their bedroom talking about something that happened, or just somebody doing a voiceover uh on like video gameplay and they're giving their opinions about things that are happening either you know current events or in the community were you before you got into this world were these things you would watch like what was your opinion of these this world before you started satirizing it before you really sort of got deeper into it yeah so it's funny because i when I was working at, at Flama, I had no idea about this world, right? Like all I knew was like being a comedian, like making self-deprecating jokes, like joking about myself and joking about my experience here, right? Uh, and then as I started like diving in, like and making some of my own content, like my audience would recommend stuff and I would like stumble upon things. And I ended up finding this like like the the YouTube community itself because it's like, there are different levels of experience that you can have on YouTube. You can have like the superficial, you're just going in and consuming like music videos or things that are trending, things that are viral, or you can just go in and like see what's really happening in different communities around YouTube and commentary kind of plugs everything in to some extent, not every commentator covers every community. Right. Uh, so I started, I think it was around 2016 that I started like learning more about these different communities. And uh, I think like the, the biggest commentator at the time, the per like, uh, was uh, Leafy is here, and his videos were just, uh, you know, he was really there. He would excoriate the people that he was talking about. It really ripped them to shreds, and it was kind of, it was kind of weird to watch. Like as far as like seeing how people would react as well. Like just I uh, remember something that people would do. They would like leave snake emojis on the people like. He would, let's say, made a video on Trisha Paytas. All of his followers would go and leave like snake emojis in her comment section. Right. So that was like really weird to watch. You know, it's something that doesn't happen nowadays on YouTube anymore because they changed their policies. But I started learning more about YouTube itself through these commentary channels. Um, I want to talk. I, I want to talk a lot about your char the character and the sort of satire. But I want to sort of just get through the, the basics of you know, how do you do it? You know, like in so much is you're yeah. doing like eight minute or plus videos every day. Seemingly uh, you're tweeting eight to 10 times a day. You're yeah. getting all these stories. Can you just walk me through a typical day of like, how do you sort of both consume all of this world and sort of turn it into all the content? Yeah, of course. So it's, uh, I'm on my phone most of the day. <laughs> I'm on my phone about 10 hours a day. Like, uh, 
you know, if their story's happening, it's easier to like have a, a day where like you're talking about a lot of stuff. If there's nothing happening, then I have to like keep like searching for things, you know, and I keep widening the things that I'm talking about. Uh, like, you know, there isn't that much happening on social media right now. So I'm looking more at like what's happening in the social media world of like music right now. Right. Uh, but it, it's like basically I spend a lot of time on my phone, spend a lot of time searching, uh, seeing what people are posting. I have a lot of notifications from different uh, like people who are influential and accounts that are influential and like, uh, you know, you got it. That's basically it, you know, and yeah. then and then based on my Twitter, uh, I'll make all these posts uh, and then I'll use that as kind of like a loose script of how I put together my videos, you know. Uh, so like I'll have these stories and then I'll, I'll like, I'll react to the video, I'll watch the video, or I'll read the tweet and then I'll have my one liner afterwards and it, it's all improvised. So wow. that's, uh, so like, you know, I, I don't have that much time to keep like to write my punchlines or whatever, you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's gotten easier to the point where like, uh, you know, I, I know the point of view that I'm coming from. So that makes it a lot easier to know where the joke is, you know, uh, you know, but sometimes I do have to like sit here and like rewrite a joke or like retell the joke about mm -hmm. like 10 different times until I get the wording right. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, like the delivery and the wording is almost as as important as literally everything else. But yeah, that's pretty much my day. Um, so for a video from the point you start recording to when yeah. you finish editing it and posting it, how much time is that? For each video I spend, well, it depends. I spend anywhere between like, six to 10 hours on each video. So I, I, I work like pretty much 14 to 16 hours. Yeah. A day, <laughs> that's, a, yeah. That was, that's why I left when I did the math. I was like, every, and that's like every day. That's every day. Yeah. Yeah. But I love doing this. So it's like, you know, I don't really, it, it doesn't feel like work. You know what I mean? And also like the comedy clubs are closed. So I like, yeah. I don't have the option of like going and, you know, like doing stand up in front of people. So this is like, I just feel I just feel like I get to to continuing working that comedy muscle mm -hmm. as all of this is like shut down. Yeah. So the the would you say the character came first or the sort of point of view that you wanted to go for? Like did the satire come first or the character come first? And and and, it, and how did it how did they sort of like inform each other to sort of where you are now? Yeah, so it all kind of started like it all happened organically. You know, like I think it was sometime around actually end of 2019 that I, I really like uh, that I thought, you know, I have to. I And this and just to preface this a little bit, this came from me seeing other commentary channels on how they were covering stuff and my experience, like doing shows and be, having like five minutes and having 13 other comics on the bill and saying, how am I going to stand out from these guys? Like nobody's going to remember me at the end of the night. So I was like, I have to like have a really strong point of view and it has to be not only funny, but it has to be like something that like people like gravitate towards, you know, and, and that, you know, like, will like grab them. So that's where it's, it like started becoming satirical, like completely satirical was I was covering like Onision having these meltdowns uh, because he was like getting exposed for all these like really serious allegations. And the meltdowns were like super ridiculous. It was clear he was faking it. And I was like, I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to act like this is like real, like I believe this, mm -hmm. you know, and that and that's where it started, like becoming more like satirical, because that's where the irony came from, you know, like how could, you know, anybody actually believe this, you know, and 
And then I and then I started getting comments. I saw that it was like working. People were connecting with it. People were saying like you get you get comments like uh, like like uh, that your sarcasm gives me life. Oh, I relate to this. I'm just as sarcastic as this. And, yeah. and you see that it's like working, you know. And then the whole like cat like persona. I mean, I like I said, it was like an accident. But you know, people started saying like because of the sarcasm that I was sounding like a cat, like a moody cat. You Got know, so I started like going into that more and more. Uh, and that's, uh, that, that's how like the whole like cat boy, cat guy, whatever persona like became, you know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so I think you, I'm trying to think if there's any other, oh, and the UCLA t-shirts. So the use, <laughs> that's a funny story too. Cause it was like, it was around the same time. Uh, and it was, uh, it was like winter here in LA and I was, I was trying to save money and I wasn't keeping the air, like the heat. Mm-hmm. So I was just cold and I just had one sweater and it, it wasn't even mine. It was my roommates and they were in New York. So I was just wearing this like UCLA sweater <laughs> uh, in every single video and people noticed it and they were like, oh yeah, I like it. So like when it got warmer, I was like, I'm just going to buy a bunch of UCLA shirts and just like keep the UCLA thing. And then it kind of informed it as though it's like this because I wear the glasses without any like uh, like lenses through oh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is like supposed to be it's supposed to be a joke too. that. That's I, I started doing this because I just thought it would be funny. Like, you know, that episode of The Simpsons where Homer Simpson finds a, a, like a pair of glasses in the toilet and he's like immediately thinks he's a genius. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the whole thing of like me acting like a pseudo intellectual, like <laughs> I'm, I'm smarter than I, I actually am because I got glasses on. And like, I think that that wraps it all up with like having a college t-shirt like especially a college yeah. like ucla that ever, that's like so well known and it is a prestigious college you know and it's not a knock at ucla at all it's just like a reference and it also ties people into like i'm in los angeles right yeah. so it's like i'm talking about all these la personalities but at the same time i'm like here you know yeah um yeah. you 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 know colbert's like clearly an influence you cited when you explain sort of what the channel is it's yeah. so much that that character sort of had Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity as reference points. Are there specific YouTubers that you think, you know, yeah. at this point you might be so far beyond, but were there people that you're like, these are the influences? Yeah, of course. So, uh, I mean, if you look, if you look at the intro of the show, like I, I've been doing this series called Irrelevant News, right? If you look at the intro, I, I purposely chose an intro that was very similar to Drama Alert. And I, mm-hmm. you know, like Keemstar is a guy that like, uh, I, I watched him a lot, like uh, for a while. Uh, you know, like, and I'm kind of making fun of him, you know, a little bit, <laughs> you know, so I pulled a lot of like the, the a lot from him. Uh, I pulled a lot from like, uh, you know, like Perez Hilton too. Uh, you know, and I always, and there's this whole, like the, the delivery itself was kind of an accident. Like I did a Gilbert Gottfried impression in one video, uh, and then people loved it. And then they started wanting more and they started saying that Gilbert was like my uncle or whatever. Uh, so that's where that voice came from. But as far as like, like takes and how things are done and like, and and sometimes said or phrased like those two guys. And then there's like different people in the commentary community too, that like, I'll, I'll see things that they do and I'll incorporate it. Like there was this guy, um, his name is Xander Hall. He's like, uh, I think he may be, maybe he's a YouTube or Twitch streamer. I'm not sure, but he's like a political guy. Right. And he got a lot of heat from the commentary community because a while ago he said, you know, we should make comments, YouTube commentary political. Right. And like people got so livid, you know, and, and uh, I, I thought, wait, you know, that is something I could probably like incorporate in like a funny way. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like a reference of just how 
media coverage or, or independent media coverage is done of like social media. You know, yeah. everything gets thrown in there. Kind of like Colbert, like you said, you know, Colbert would like make a lot of fun of Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity, but you know, he would also pull from other areas too. So, um, what do you think of these, this content, like these people and these stories, like in, in, in so much as this is a satire, what is, what is your point you're trying to make about this world? It's funny you say that because it's, uh, it goes along with like the title of the series, right? To me, okay. it's just the most banal and irrelevant stories that anybody could be talking about, right? There's this whole, I didn't go to journalism school, but th I'm, I'm aware that there's this whole di differentiation between hard and soft journalism, right? Mm -hmm. So this is all like soft journalism. And like a lot of the times it's just presented with like such seriousness and people take it so seriously, right? You see, you read the comments on TikTok room or on Drama Alert or even on Perez Hilton's page, like uh, people are just taking a lot of this stuff that is just like, oh, so-and-so like... <laughs> Had a cup of coffee today and like, yeah. people are like what would know how why would they even never do that you know like so it, it's a it's a little bit of like i'm making fun of like outrage culture and basically how these non-stories are uh, who are presented and framed in this way that ends up generating all this outrage right uh you know at the end of the day it, it's it's a commentary on just the this like independent independent social media sphere, you know, social media news sphere that kind of fuels so much of this outrage, you know, and like backlash. But it's like, uh, you know, what I've been learning about social media, because I, I, I you know, been seeing all this stuff uh, kind of happening as my page grows. It's like a lot of context is lost on social yeah. media. And usually the more context is lost, the the more like. I guess, captivating and the more outrage something generates, right? It's so easy to just flatten something to the most basis thing and just appeal to emotion, right? And completely remove all the humanity from it, right? Like, it's like, like politicians say, right? Like making a bumper sticker version of a policy, right? It's, it, you're not going to get anything out of it, yeah. you know? Uh, so, and I feel like social media is, designed for this right yeah yeah i mean it seems like you don't like it i mean like i think that's oh the yeah short, no definitely <laughs> I, the think, short yeah. I think I, and i think that what and i had this conversation with someone else you know I, I think that right now we have like uh there's like if this were airwaves we have so much pollution in the airwaves there's so many like uh so much of the conversation is just completely muddled tim dylan said this that uh like joe like uh Logan Paul asked Tim Dillon, uh, you know, like, what do you think about everybody having a podcast? And he was like, you know, there's a big problem with that. You don't want everybody having a podcast. And that's that's the whole thing. Like, what's going to happen once you level the playing field for all opinions? Yeah. All I mean, everybody should have the right to have an opinion. But what if somebody has tens of millions of followers, but they have the worst opinions? <laughs> you know what I mean, that are just going to like yeah. disenfranchise people and just push people away. And, you know, and, and that's completely best viable you know what i mean yeah. so that's that's one of the dangers that i see with this whole situation and i think that's that's what like the whole thing in and of itself that's the awareness that i'm trying to bring as like a on the macro level right mm -hmm. uh like you know you gotta be careful <laughs> you know with what you say like and i feel like social media platforms 
don't really like educate someone or, or like the people who are building audiences on their platforms with the dangers of like misleading their audiences, yeah, yeah. not even in like misleading them with fake news, but leading them down like certain paths, right? Uh, of like thought, right? Uh, and it, it, I mean, I had a conversation with someone else about this, but when you think about it, like, I think the biggest stand-up show, the most amount of people that I ever had in a room in front of me were about 200 something people, right? And that felt insane. Yeah. To be the only person standing there having 200 people laughing at you, throwing that much energy. I think I was buzzing for three days off of that energy, right? To The biggest stand-up show I ever attended as an audience member was this Bill Burr show that he did at, at uh, Foxwoods. Mm-hmm. And there were, I don't know, maybe like 15, 20,000 people there, right? Now, on Twitter, if you have 20,000 followers, I mean, that, depending on, you know, the, there are a lot of people who have 20,000 yeah, followers, yeah, yeah. just to say. And I mean, I don't think they realize just the amount of influence they can have on those 20,000. And if each one of those 20,000 gets the ideas that they're pushing out and passes it on to two people, that's like growing exponentially. Right. Yeah. So that's I mean, I I just think that we have to have more awareness of like what our conversations are and how we're shaping conversations. When you talk about the the type of things that you're satirizing or the type of channels uh-huh. you know like clearly like there are types of d- drama channels that you are satirizing but in in so much as your show still is able to provide the same drama information i mean do you f- and and that's like a completely reasonable thing to do right it's like the daily show parodies news but also is able to provide news like i think yeah. do you feel like though you're parodying drama channels or clout chasers like your show or your your channel or your success is also built around the same like your show is still a drama channel show in its way at the end of the day yeah it ends up being a, like falling in the same genre right it, it's uh i mean there were so many people when john stewart would at was at the height of what he did who would just watch john stewart for the yeah, new yeah. <laughs> he would even have to say folks don't watch my show for like just my show you know like I mean, even with Colbert, like I remember uh, there were people uh, Colbert at the height of of the Colbert report. Like I remember people genuinely saying that they couldn't tell whether Stephen Colbert was serious or not. You know, and and, and like, uh, you know, people would watch him to get the news. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think that, you know, the channel may be satirical, but it still falls within that, you know, the drama channel genre. And we'll be right back with more Dennis Beethoven. Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery podcast, WikiHole. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? Or what was in Al Capone's vault? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast, WikiHole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes in Wikipedia with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to Wikihole, you learn that that's the sciencey term for eardrum. Wikihole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how did we get here? Follow Wikihole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Wikihole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or an Apple Podcasts. 
Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. And we're back with Dennis Feitoza. You know, you you've, you sometimes describe the show and the channel as an experiment on if you can do a Colbert Report type character on the internet. Um, you know, and I'm fascinated about the idea of context and satire on the internet. What what are your findings so far? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's uh, it's hard. Context gets lost, right? It yeah. gets so lost, especially on the internet. I mean, I was just saying, like, there were people who genuinely thought Colbert was for real, right? Yes. Now, on the internet, where I'm connecting with people, like, from all over the world, right? Uh, you know, the majority of my audience is in the United States, but I have people from all over the world who watch me. So, uh, and I don't know how they're, like, arriving at my content, whether they're just arriving because they want to hear their latest tea or because they want to yeah. hear about a certain person or uh, because they love the jokes or uh, there are a lot of people, I see a lot of comments that they're, they're, they're there just for me, right? And they don't even care about the people I'm talking about. Uh, so it, it, it uh, you know, it, it's, it's a weird dynamic, yeah. right? And uh, it, it, uh, I, at one point I was really, I was trying really hard to like walk people through and help them understand mm -hmm. what it was. But at one point I was just like, there's no way to do it. I, I have a disclaimer on my videos, like at, at, on the description. So people are aware I have a disclaimer on my channel explaining the thoughts behind it. Uh, you know, so that people can hopefully understand it. Uh, but, you know, it's like uh, I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who was a stand up and he said, um, it's almost like you're uh, you're paying the price for understanding comedy, you know, whenever yeah. you get like <laughs> harsh criticism. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I guess. And, you know, I even even like to a point of like posting a joke, you know, like. I posted this Rodney Dangerfield quote and it got, got completely taken out of context <laughs> you on know, your, on your personal feed or on the deaf, noodles? on the deaf noodles feed. And I posted it, I posted it like knowing that I would get a reaction, but I wanted to see what, how many people would get it, how many people wouldn't. And yeah. it was just interesting to see that like the, my most loyal followers were like responding with gifts of Dangerfield. So like the majority of my followers get it. The people who are there just to like, I guess, uh, for like other reasons, they were confused. So I feel like there's there's an idea on the Internet of what comedy is. Yes. But I don't feel like a lot of people really know what comedy is. Like I, I a lot of the people who have the strongest opinions about comedy haven't been in a, in a comedy club and like maybe ever in their lives. You know, like there's this uh, there's this uh, there are a few commentators who who like say that comedy is dead and, and, and this and that. And you look at what they think is comedy and to them, it's just saying racial slurs and, you know, <laughs> using the Confederate flag. And I'm like, how is that a punchline? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, and you try to have a conversation with one of them and it, 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 it's, uh, it's a, well, you're, you're not edgy. Well, yeah. I don't see what's edgy about, <laughs> about that. But, uh, when, when there isn't like a, an understanding of what comedy is, and there isn't like an investment into like learning it, uh, then it, it just becomes it becomes like a wasteful conversation almost. So, so that's why I like stopped 
really trying to explain it to people. But at, at the end of the day, I feel like what I'm learning is that so much context is lost. It's just like people either get it or they don't. And I, I do my best to ch- try to walk the people who don't like through it, you know, but it, it just uh, it does, sometimes it backfires. Yeah. I mean, it, what I've noticed seeing the people who don't get it and seeing you talk to them or seeing them talk about you is that they have a very specific and very rigid idea of what satire is. I don't know where they learned it, but like, they're just like, this is what satire is. Or they either think, well, satire is only this one thing where it's like, it has to be clear, which is the thing you see from even smart people who I have a, um, a friend who, did that um there was a viral video a while ago where during the democratic uh primaries they did this video called moves like bloomberg where they put uh, and it went really viral because a lot of people thought it was really from the bloomberg campaign and maggie yeah. haberman i was there when they shot that it was, oh, really? yeah, yeah. was ACB. it was a show i used to be here in la i was there where they're they like dancing in the yeah. theater yeah, i was there 100 percent. those guys are amazing so so Maggie Haberman, who's like a very respected political journalist, yeah. thought it was real, tweeted it. And then when she found it wasn't, got really mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think some people are seemingly have gotten mad at you because they've got tricked. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it's like they have um, a really rigid understanding of what comedy is or, as you're saying, or I think what you see a lot is... The idea of satire to certain young people seems to be poisoned by people who used it to cover up like ironic racism. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's uh, like I, I have a few different ideas of why that is. I feel like a lot of people think of the onion when they think of satire yeah. and they think that like you can only cover fake news when it's satirical. It can only be fake. And that's the only way you can blow it out and be hyperbolic. Right. And that's why I I try to use Colbert as like a reference, because he covered real news every single day. Uh, But since the show has been off the air for so long, a lot of people don't remember it or they never watched it. Right. Uh, And I also think that it it just it goes it goes to like upbringing or personal references or what they what ideas they have of comedy. Like uh, there's this person who has criticized me like numerous times about like saying that I'm not like I'm not satirical and and this person likes to use racial slurs in their comedy. And then, you know, when Rush Limbaugh passed away, this person was like posting praises to Rush Limbaugh. So sure. uh, so uh, it, it goes a lot to like, as you said, like a broadened enough understanding of what satire is, what comedy is not uh, like how people express themselves and how they express their funny and this and that and how there there's really a range there, there isn't one way to do it. Yeah, yeah. There's a range of how people do it, right? Uh, so, like, to say that there's only one way to do it is, you know, it's like saying, like, uh, you know, George Carlin is the only comedian there is. Like, everybody else isn't a comedian. You know, yeah. that's like saying that. You know what I mean? Uh, or saying, like, I don't know, saying something that's like, it, it's it's extreme. It, like, almost, like, makes it impossible to to have a conversation with someone like that because they don't really want to see like a different point of view basically mm-hmm. it's almost like they're they reject they reject the idea because they don't relate to the point of view for some reason right uh because it's like either opposed to what they believe in personally or it's just they don't find it funny which is fine i mean i've done look Every comedian will tell you that when they started off, they bombed so many times. So uh, 
it's it's part of what it is like, uh, you know, people sometimes will relate to it. Sometimes they won't. I think that the fact that so many people gravitate towards my content means that people get it for one reason or another. And, you know, they love it. And yeah. I give them some type of entertainment value, which at the end of the day, that's what I'm there for. Right. I, I, I may be I may have these like grandiose ideas of like, you know, commentary that I'm providing about yeah. what I feel like is this space. But at the end of the day, if it's entertaining or not, like that's what really counts, right? Yeah. I want to talk about then even taking it to Twitter. Yeah. Which is even even worse of than even a YouTube channel. Like I think even like with Colbert, it's like he one, he existed in a time where they barely were putting clips on YouTube. But then there's the first time I ever even heard the idea of canceling was yeah. Colbert's social media me member, someone tweeted the punchline of a joke that uh -huh. was where the character was saying something vaguely racist about Chinese people, I think. So they uh -huh. just saw the punchline. Then, so then Twitter took off on just the punchline and they tried to cancel Colbert and they explained, but the way you run your Twitter uh -huh. is even more. It's like without, I like if I looked at that first, I would have, I'm, I would not totally know exactly the angle or even there was the, I guess the, one of the first times there was sort of, controversy to light controversy as we talk about was yeah. you uh charlie d'amelio you yeah. was caught vaping and you you posted a dm that you reached out for comment then i and i was like that's really weird it's weird that you did it then much later i learned you faked that yeah reaching out <laughs> it was so, a joke <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so funny because like like i said the context is lost right yeah I, i've written i had it on the header of my account that it's hysterical. Yeah. I, 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 I tweeted before, like, I think I have a tweet from like June or July that it's all meant to be a joke. The whole joke is I'm not a journalist. Yeah, I'm yeah, presenting yeah. all these like stories as though I'm a journalist. I'm not, I like, uh, it, to me, the joke behind Twitter is that like people take me seriously as a journalist when I'm not like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> And uh, the whole thing with like the, the Charlie D'Amelio, like vaping thing, uh, it, it was uh, it was pretty insane because, I mean, those those DMs like they, they're not real, you know, like and I, I've made so many other DMs that weren't real. And, yeah. you know, like I've I've had DM conversations with influencers and, you know, when they respond to me and I post a response from an influencer, that is 100 percent real. But when whenever I just post like reached out for comment. Don't, like, I mean, I reached out to for comment to like a plate that Logan Paul broke, right? I reached out for comment to like Trisha Paytas's kitchen floor, right? Like, uh, there was a video of Jeffrey Star uh, like going to a gun range and shooting a paper bear. I reached out to Peta, you know, like I didn't actually reach out to Peta, you know what I mean? Like, I, I and like even that that one that Jeffrey Star one, there were people like, oh, this is going too far. I'm like, do you get it? Like, this is supposed to be a, you know, but uh. I, I don't know, like that day, the, the whole Charlie D'Amelio thing, like I, I was kind of like watching it and laughing. Like at, at the end of the day, I, I just whenever anybody takes what I do like too seriously, I just think of like I, I end up thinking of Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Uh, and probably how he felt like it just it, it, like sometimes when you're playing it so straight and I, by that, I don't mean like in the, the straight, you know, like I mean, it like in the comedic sense, right? When you're you're playing it so like dry right that people don't get the joke 
they they like don't can't see beyond it. You know, sometimes it, it just uh, it, it kind of gets out of hand. Right. Uh, so like I, I've tried since then to like make it clearer. Like uh, I've had conversations with other influencers. I've had conversations with other people to try to just, you know, like balance things out and try to make it clearer, you know. Uh, but I, I've seen that as as everything grows, it, it just like context keeps getting lost. And, and you know, uh, so like right now, what I'm doing is I'm trying to like kind of front load the jokes. Right. I, I stopped doing the DM stuff because honestly, it just took too long. Like, <laughs> But I. You know, like I, I've been trying to front load it with like these these headlines. It's interesting because, I, you know, I was thinking of Andy Kaufman as well, because it, there is yeah. like later in his career, he started to start wrestling women. And like and it and it was at that point that he went into this phase where he just liked the idea of people reacting yeah. and that people like people outside of it could realize it's a joke. Like. It- the way you're describing how people are reacting and how absurd it is yeah. for the people in the world yeah. and that moment, it's not a joke. You are the bad guy. It's not funny. Yeah. But to you, as you described me now, it's like, yes, that's a very funny thing that happened. You have proved the point you're trying to make, but not to the people living it. Does it yeah. feel like that? Do you like ultimately like the blurriness a little bit? Do you like that it's, can be confusing that people um it's it's like kind of trolling but kind of not trolling like there do you but do you like do you like that um because people don't know what's real you are ultimately getting a reaction that is interesting so I mean, I'm not, whenever I post something, to be honest with you, I'm not looking for like a reaction, right? Yeah. I'm trying to post stuff and I'm thinking of the joke in my head and I'm thinking of this character, right? And when people react, I'm just like, I'm kind of amused. Yes, I'm of course amused by their reactions. And, you know, there's a, I, I, it, it's kind of funny to, to see it like just, and it's over something so completely small, you yeah. know, it, like John Cleese, I read his autobiography and he says that, Comedy comes from turning the smallest events into tragedy, you know, and it's like, you know, you, you got a, a plate of spaghetti and you forgot to get the the cheese, you know, and then it's a tragedy. Right. It's yeah, like yeah. that's how I found to, like, translate the work into like uh, into Twitter. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I don't use like my own videos on Twitter that much. I don't I don't post videos of myself on Twitter that much. Uh, and you know, because of how I'm doing it right now, uh, I'm using it as like a script. I, I kind of stick to this format. Maybe in the future I'll change it, but, uh, I don't know. It's just interesting. Like I I've always been fascinated mm-hmm. by like people, you know, and just how people react and how people like think, you know what I mean? Like I, I love to try to understand that. Yeah. The, the example I, I imagine of like the time where the group took over in the way it has, and I think it's sort of the it's a I when you look at the last year or so of you doing this character, a certain sort of transition. Yeah. So um, I imagine you know where I'm going to. So in like December, I think of last year, a young YouTuber with very few followers filmed a, a sort of takedown of your channel. Uh-huh. Um, and honestly, I watched it and I was like, I'm not totally sure what his point is, but I think he feels like you're a hypocrite for some reason because you make fun of 
these celebrities, but you're just trying to do the same. So I really couldn't get it. But anyway, so you posted on Twitter with yeah. the caption, absolute yeah. genius makes video telling the world he's madly in love with me, which is like <laughs> arguably your most clear joke you've ever done. <laughs> it's like, it's so, and it, I thought, can I be honest with you? When I saw that video, I was like this. First off, I've, I've had videos done about me before, right? Like numerous videos. And they're usually like cursing me out like yeah, the yeah. character, right? They're usually saying Def Noodles is so cringe. He's awful, blah, 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 blah. Right. And they're, they're usually like over gameplay voiceover. But this kid I saw and I was like, like I was watching his video. He's got like montages. He's like cut videos from like four months ago with videos from a week ago. I was like, wow, this guy yeah, put yeah, yeah. effort into this. Right. So I was like, how can I frame this in a way that's still like funny? It's still in my voice. And like, you know, we'll like we'll help him get this out, you know, uh, because honestly, from being a comic, you you know how to deal with like hecklers. Right. Uh, and like, you know, like in the Internet, on the Internet, I'm starting to learn that I, I just have to ignore all of it because yeah. with that situation specifically, I try to make it a funny joke and, you know, like uh, like give somebody who I thought was like somebody who was young, interested in this and wanted to do it you know, try to give them a little bit of an audience. Right. Uh, you know, and maybe start building their things, you know, uh, you know, it's not always that like you're, you're going to start getting love off your first videos. Like, yeah. so I try to do it as like within the voice of the character and, uh, you know, where like, hopefully he got some people to go over and check out his work. Uh, but somehow that got flipped on me. <laughs> yeah. So then you also made a video where you essentially like, Deaf noodles yourself. You did a, you canceled yourself. You did this yeah. very long video taking down yourself. Can you yeah. talk about making that and yeah. the intention, how that came together? So, so at that point, like once that, once that tweet came out, right. Uh, like there, there was like an exchange in, in like several tweets. Uh, and then uh, like, I ended up making this like Twitter thread, right. Yes. Where like, I, I, I didn't name anyone. But it's funny because everybody who like a lot of people caught feelings off of it, which was just it was supposed to be a joke. Think of believe it or not, that whole thread was supposed to be a joke. So that inspired that thread inspired a whole bunch of videos. So and, so I guess we should talk about the thread. Is it the yeah, thread where that ends where you go? Uh, I'll read. So there's a group of YouTubers who attempt to present themselves as the moral center of the commentary community. <laughs> These same folks dogpile on other YouTubers whenever they get the chance. Don't get it twisted. They would never face off one-on-one. They need a group. Um, yeah. You also say, I'm from Brazil. I moved to America. I moved to America by myself when I was 12 with nothing. I don't run away. I, and I'm not apologizing for standing up for myself. Um, is this the part we call them fascists? There's a part where you call them. It's a, it's a tweet before that, I think. Yeah. I, I, I don't have. I didn't, I didn't necessarily. That, and that's the whole thing. That was the narrative they ran with. They were like, they're, they're call, he's calling us a fascist. And I, I think I said, they. Uh, they 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 disenfranchise minorities. They make jokes that hinge on misogyny, and uh, they flirt with fascism. Yes, which is different than yes, they are fascist. Yes, yeah, it's very different. And I, I I explained that like later. I did a conversation with one of them, and I explained it. I said, you know, like if you're flirting with someone, does that mean you're dating them? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, very clear. <laughs> there's a very clear. But you know, there's like there. Uh, it's very funny because they ran with this whole like idea of like, uh, you know, when these videos that followed that thread, they ran with this whole like idea of like, oh, he's running with like a, a on a victim narrative. There's so much context that's yeah. lost. 
they couldn't believe because yeah. I watched a lot of these videos. I watched too many of the the response videos because I was trying to get what their their angle was, and they thought this was you breaking character, right? Uh-huh. They thought this was just yeah. like they're like finally see he thinks he's a character, but clearly this is true. Clearly he's upset. He can't yeah. take the heat, and I and it like it seems like not being able to take criticism is like a very like is a, a terrible sin to these it's, people. Well, it, it's it's uh. It's ironic that they say like uh, it, 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 the whole thing is it, such a, 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 a the only way I can think of it is like it's a mind fuck. Right. A lot of it bases off of just being completely dishonest with your argument. First off, like they're, they're attacking this character who's a fictional cat in a Minecraft house. Yeah. Who just doesn't exist. Right. Uh, outside of my videos. Um. And and second, they're they're trying to they're accusing this cat of playing a victim. They're accusing this cat of playing a victim so they can make themselves look like a victim. Right now, they're the victims of being called fascists. Right. Because they took that one itty bitty. So they, they get to ignore everything that was said before. Right. So that they can just address uh, pretend like that one little word. It's so hurtful for them. But at the end of the day, you got to. And I, I talked to my manager about this because like my everybody who knows me knows that like I'm like literally like I, I nonstop joking. And it's almost yeah. to an annoying degree. It like has cost me several <laughs> relationships. Uh, so it's like it, it uh, for anyone to like just take take it so serious to that point. It, it's just like they almost made the point itself valid. Yeah, I think what is interesting, and it goes back to sort of this like Andy Kaufman idea, which is they, the thing that a lot of satire, I think, like it, it feels so fake that it doesn't like feel like it's actually parodying it close enough. Yeah. Where like, you know, the onion is like, I think it's important that every periodically people think the onion is real just so the onion can to make it seem like it's believable. Because if, yeah. if you're doing satire and no one believes it at all, uh-huh. Then you're like, well, then you're not really getting at anything. You're so detached that you're just like making jokes. Yeah. And like this is they are essentially they by how seriously they take you continuously. Yeah. Like no matter what that's you say the, to their faces, they just can't believe it. And that's it, the it, joke. That they yeah. didn't understand that that's like the the more videos they make about it, the more they talk about it in like this super serious manner, the bigger of a joke it is. Yeah. And they think they're insulting me, like saying like Oh, he's a joke. Yeah, yeah, I'm a comedian. What, yes, what exactly. do you think? Yeah. I'm a comedian. <laughs> of course I'm a joke. They're like, oh, he's a clown. Yeah, I took I took like three years of clown classes. Of course I'm a clown. That's my job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it's it's almost like the irony, but it's funny because like the irony gets completely lost. Yeah, yeah. Completely lost because they take it so seriously and because of the way social media works and like parasocial relationships work, like, their audience also takes it seriously and they like end up having a grudge and they're like going on my page and they're like saying these, Oh, is this satirical? And I'm, I'm like, dude. <laughs> yeah. Just like, like, yeah. Yeah. It's so it can, can you talk about the video and how then that elevates it even further of like, then you're going to sort of perform this, yeah. the irony of this situation. Yeah. So I, so I ended up, uh, you know, like my, my manager was like, don't respond. 
don't respond. Don't respond. Don't respond. <laughs> I was like, I have to. This is like, right. This is like an amazing opportunity for me to roast myself and take myself down a peg. You know, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love like, uh, like my favorite jokes are jokes where I can roast myself. Right. But I like, uh, I just feel like, you know, like, I don't know. I, I, I have this like self-deprecating idea that maybe I'm not as interesting as I think I am. Right. Mm. Uh, but in this case, there were so many people who were interested in this that I was like, I could take myself down a peg. I could totally like as a character roast, not only the character, but also myself. Right. Uh, like as the creator. So that's what it is. It's like this whole like meta thing. I got everything that we're saying and I, I literally parroted it. Like I was like parroting every single point that they made as a character and then like adding like a few details here and there. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is like, which is ironic because even that went over people's heads. Like, like <laughs> there's this, uh, there's this whole thing, like, uh, you know, in eight mile at the last scene where he's having the whole, like, uh, the last like roast with the guy and he says everything the guy's going to say. Right. And then he's like, try to say something now. Right. And he wins yeah. the battle because of that. Right. Uh, so I like that was kind of like an eight mile moment where like the like Def Noodles is saying everything that everybody's saying, you know, <laughs> you know, and like taking himself down a peg and still people like went after, you know, which is like it's like double irony. Like how yeah. you know, it's like it just shows how on the Internet, like uh, like people are really willing to like really punch down. Right. Yeah. And in, in, in the most ruthless manner. Right. And remove context to the furthest degree so they can punch down. Right. Even when somebody's taking themselves down, which is what that video did, essentially, I'm, I'm parroting like the first the first like uh, the first 10 seconds of the video. I'm saying like Def Noodles is delusional. He's cringe. He's like I'm repeating almost verbatim yeah. what one of the videos said about Def Noodles. Right. Uh, and and people still use that clip thinking that they're like insulting me in some kind of way. And I just watch it and I'm like laughing. I'm like, you yeah. missed a joke. You missed the joke. It went over your head. <laughs> but it's, I mean, but the more they take you seriously, like the more it, the character fills out. I mean, like the thing that I think, yeah. So the Colbert report, it's an interesting example because, you know, if you watch all of you watch the entire show and it's a show that's like a really, like it's one of my favorite shows ever yeah. is, what became more and more interesting is how you could not tell how truthful he's being in any moment. Like, was he 100% the character? What does he believe in this? Also, like, you know, like, when his mom passed away, he would... It was his own mom that passed away. Like, he was really genuine there. and it, Or, like, Stephen Colbert, the character, knew a lot about of Lord of the Rings. Well, that doesn't make sense. Like, why would a Bill O'Reilly type know it? Yeah. And what he created is Paradox. Like, essentially, that at any... And that is... It's a much more complicated type of satire where, you know, you're not spelling it out. You don't know... Like, at any moment, like, we... You're up... You're letting your audience decide what you care about, what you take seriously. You call something serious, but you also don't know if calling it serious is part of, like, ultimately filling... Like... Yeah. However, paradox is really hard on the internet because people want one... They want you to be one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it really messes with people's heads. Yeah. And like uh, it, it just uh, at the end of the day, I think that the, the lesson that I'm getting out of all of it from like witnessing it and, and doing all of it is just don't take things too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, especially when it's on the banner that it's <laughs> it's supposed to be a joke. Uh, 
also like look for the full context. I think the other thing that sort of makes it complicated is the the world you're playing in is a lot of younger people. Like it's a lot right. of teenagers and younger both the the people you're commenting on, like the some of these news as you know, are they they're these creators are 15, 16, whatever. Yeah. And the people watching it might do you think about sort of the the ethics of that the morality of like oh yeah. should i not be making jokes about people this young how do i you know like how do i deal with the fact that my audience is this young so for sure like if i'm covering somebody younger like over the past few like uh at least a few months like i i've been like uh just trying to figure out ways to to i i first off like i never want to make a harsh joke at somebody's expense because everybody goes through stuff. Like there are actually real people going through real stuff. Right. So I, I like a lot of the times I'll comment either on the irony of whatever's happening. Uh, I'm not trying to take anybody down. That's not like my goal with any of this stuff. It's just to, to have to entertain, right. To, to have a laugh. And it, especially if I'm covering like people in the social sphere who are a little younger than um, like I it, kid, kid gloves, you know, basically. Um, I, I try my best to, to have kid gloves. I'll make jokes about like, if, if I really don't want to make a joke about something that, but I feel like it's important to share the clip, I'll make a joke about something in the background. Right. Or I'll, I'll turn the joke about like somehow about me, how I did something, you know, um, and thinking about the younger audience itself. Like, um, I feel, I feel like there's a responsibility with like, uh, you know, not only providing the entertainment, the entertainment itself, but like, uh, I, I try to be fair with everybody. Right. Uh, and to present the facts, you know, like present the, either the tweet or the video that I'm commenting on and present it in the cleanest possible context without any setup of saying, Oh, this person's wrong or right. Right. Uh, and then like, and then after the, when I have the joke, I'll say something that it'll be whatever it is. Right. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I feel like my responsibility, like within all of this is to present uh, something that not only stands for, for like, uh, like equality, like everything, you know, like, like treating people the right way, you know, uh, you know, treating the people you love the right way, you know, uh, it, and you know, a lot of it may get lost in the irony, like that, that nickel cotto avocado joke, like the point of the joke of the irony is that you're not supposed to throw that, right. You're not supposed to throw a plate at your significant other. Uh, but you know, maybe people will think maybe, maybe there may be somebody who, thinks that that is actually what I believe, but that's not, yeah. you know, so, yeah. Do you have a sense? I mean, like we talked a lot about the people who sort of truly don't get it, but like you have an amount of fans, you have a lot of subscribers all with like, and a lot of them have come in the last year or so, yeah. you know, I, I like to say that like, ultimately only the, the creator has a hundred percent understanding of exactly what the creator intends to do. Uh -huh. And the more fans you get, the further away they often get from understanding the, the core of it. Yeah. As you, you know, as familiar you are with your fans and the followers, do you have a sense of how much get it, how much they get it? How do you feel about that? You know, like, mm -hmm. do do they somewhat get it and that's fine? You know, like, how, how do you think about that aspect of, like, how what are your fans getting out of this? What do they understand? What do you do hope they communicate? What does it seem like they're getting? Yeah, so... What I what I see from the comments is that everybody uses my content for different reasons, right? There are people who follow me because they want to hear about certain influencers. There are people who follow me just so they can get the news because they want to know what's going on. Um, there are people who follow me because they they like me, 
you know, for some reason. Uh, there are people who follow me because they love the jokes. And um, so at, at the end of the day, um, I think that people who gravitate towards my content, there isn't one specific reason, yeah. right? There, there are the people who get the comedy, and I feel like that is the core of my audience, right? Uh, you know, and, and that Rodney Dangerfield tweet is like a, a perfect example of it, right? I would say about 40 to 50% of the people who responded like totally got that it was a Rodney Dangerfield joke, right? And then there was like, I guess, uh, like 30%, 30 to 40% of the people who were like, felt sorry for me. And then there were like, uh, like 10, 15% of the people who were like, just totally didn't get it and thought I was trying to get sympathy and they naturally hate yeah. me. They were like trying to like spin it in some kind of way that I was trying to get sympathy. Uh, so, I, I mean, that's, that's with everything, right? You can take, you can survey people about anything. You can survey a hundred people about anything. They're going to have different opinions about everything and why they do certain things, certain ways. So, uh, that, I mean, my, my show fulfills a, a whole bunch of different needs, you yeah. know, are so diverse. I can't, I can't speak for every single person. Right. I can only try to do my best to like convey a message that like, uh, that people can leave with and like, like with anything, you know, uh, once it's in the public's hands, they're going to, choose what they do with it right they're gonna take it whatever direction um you know at the beginning you talked about how the the channel sort of um yeah. evolved organically like it wasn't like one day you're like i have an idea and then full out exactly as it is today it evolved yeah. i was looking at your oldest videos all about the philippines yeah, it's yeah. A sort of a different day, but like yeah. so but now that you've done it and you have some time to reflect do you have a sense of know why you're doing this what are you getting out of it are you i mean are you making a, a living doing this like where's this fit in terms of like your comedic goals and, and missions and career yeah of course so i do this because i genuinely love telling jokes right yeah. uh and i i just love it and it's uh the news is just a springboard for it it's just a, a way to get the jokes right um and i mean i i I, I would love to see where this goes at the end of the day. I, I don't know, you know, like a, yeah. a year and a half ago, I didn't know this was going to get to this point. Uh, two years ago, it was a totally different position in my life. I don't know where this, this is going to go. I'm just like, I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, I'm excited to see that people are engaging with this character, whether positively or negatively. It's like, it's, it's causing people to think about things. Mm -hmm. And I mean, as a creator, as like an artist, it, you you want people talking about your work, right? I've spent years making stuff with nobody talking about it, yeah. nobody caring. You know what I mean? And now that people care, I I don't care if it's like hate or love or whatever it is. You know, it's starting conversations, and that's like it's very surreal. Like I, I tweeted something on my personal account, like saying, "Well, I'm like surprised that people have so many opinions, right, about this character." Like, and really, like I I when I tell you, I literally spent like decades making stuff and yeah. nobody caring. You know, like it's it's not an exaggeration. Like, uh, you know, ever since I was a little kid, like writing stuff and trying to show people and trying to share it with people, nobody cared. Nobody, you know, and uh, it's just interesting to be on the other side of the coin where like people now are really invested in it for good or bad or whatever it is. But, you know, at the end of the day, I can't control how people are going to react, yeah, yeah. but uh, they're going to see it however they see it. And I think at the end of the day, it just shows how diverse we are as human beings, how we see things as like in different ways. And, you know, like even the I, I love the people who love the content. They're like my they're I love they're like my family. But I, I appreciate also the people who have like opinions that don't agree with me, because 
I mean, it, it's still like you said, it fills out the character. It fills out this universe. It creates this whole like it makes it real. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it, 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 otherwise it, it wouldn't really be real, you know, yeah. And especially when you're dealing with like something that's artistic, that's like creative, like it, it, unless you have this whole like plethora of reactions then it's not something that's like even worth looking at, honestly, you know, I, I mean, you could even look at like even look at some artists like Klaus Oldenburg. I bet you there are people who love and hate his work. And that's why yeah. his work ends up at the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like uh, because it starts a conversation, right? There are people who may look at it and say, no, that's that's garbage. But uh, that's that's part of what it is like for good or worse. You're going to have people who have different yeah. opinions about it. And as an artist, I, I, I have to have these conversations. Otherwise, I'm just like my work is dead basically yeah is like you know this was a thing that especially the amount of time you invested in it was a product of the pandemic as as time goes on and hypothetically yeah. live comedy exists like can you like like professionally sustain yourself with this channel do you feel like creatively sustain yourself like are you getting both like literally uh, like enough income from it and also like enough fulfillment of it that you think you can really just continue to invest uh, as yeah. much of yourself into it yeah i I, I make a, I make a a a, a living <laughs> yeah. the channel, right? Uh, it, it's definitely getting me through this pandemic. I'm really like in a fortunate position. So, uh, but so yeah, that's why I keep doing it. I get a lot of creative fulfillment. I, you know, thankfully I, I'm able to sustain my 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 life. Uh, but yeah, once everything opens back up, like I, I have so many ideas from so many different projects I want to work on. I have I'm working on a half hour that I want to do. You know, like. Um, I have, uh, like I've had movies that I've written for like a long time that I want to, uh, like produce. Uh, so like, I'm just, you know, getting my ducks in a row and uh, I, I had actually produced a movie before all of this happened. So like, and with the pandemic, like all the festivals got shut down, we were going to take it to festivals. So, uh, we're trying to figure out how to figure out how to sell that now, uh, with this like new market. But yeah, like I, I'll definitely like still be doing what I was doing, you know, yeah. uh, with this like added element, you know? Um, but yeah, like I, I, I miss, you have no idea. I miss like going to a comedy club. I miss improv club. Like I miss all of it so much. And like, I get invited to do like, uh, like stand up and improv via zoom. And I just can't do it. Like it just yeah. feels, it doesn't feel like you have to be in the same room. <laughs> Like as everybody else, it just feels like it, it just feels so like weird and off. And I, I just I I miss like uh, having an audience, you know, like in front of you and having that exchange. It's it's one of the it's one of the most like visceral, like mm. liberating things as like a performer, you know, uh, like I, it, just the first like to me, the thing I love the most is like the first five seconds of an improv scene where you get a suggestion and then you step out and you don't know what the hell is going to happen. That that's one of the things I love the most. Uh, and then uh, something else I love the most is just like getting up in front of an audience too, like when you're doing stand up and not, not knowing whether they're going to love you or hate you, you know, yeah. uh, that, that also is like, there's just something about that, you know, and like, or even uh, like winning people over, you know, maybe they hate you and winning people over uh, when you're doing a set. Uh, it, it's just, uh, you know, we're missing a lot. It's like humanity. I feel like just being shut in so much, you know, it's just like hearing you talk about 
a lot of like what you respond to outside of comedy, you can see this sort of connection to what you're doing online, both in terms of you, you that un- that moment of uncertainty is like the thing that you crave, and you're sort of creating that sort of similar space in a digital s- space, but also like as things are what we think of as our everyday life shut yeah. down in many ways. Yeah, like our understanding of like what's serious and not serious has like completely been screwed, and I think your like why your show makes sense now seemingly is because that that tension of like knowing what's important when we're now like when our completely our frame of references are all skewed is so much harder and your show is just like capturing the like the sort of i don't even know how to describe it but the the sort of context yeah the absurdity of everything being super important yes that's what happened that is literally there was a shift sometime around like April or May last year where like all of a sudden things that were completely useless became completely important. Like yeah. people started caring about like uh you know the type of shampoo somebody puts on their hair. Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there was an article I think today about how paparazzi just decided like we'll just make TikTok stars our new targets because all the real famous people are not going outside. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's like what happened, which is sort of like these mundane lives of like seemingly pretty normal people have become like we treat on the same scale as everything else. And it's because on the Internet, it's the same thing. You don't have no ability to, to have any sense of scale. So you're like, yeah. I guess this is big. It must be important. I, and then you're like, wait, maybe it's not. And maybe yeah. we should make fun of that fact. Exactly. That sound means it's time for our final segment. It's the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because this is comedy, I, I call it a laughing round. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Thank you. Love for it. That laugh. Um, do you have a favorite joke joke? Like a street joke or a dad joke? Uh well it's it's a it's not even a dad, it's a priest joke. Sure, that counts. <laughs> this joke and I maybe I won't do it justice because I haven't thought of it in a while. But uh so how did it go? The the whole premise of the joke is this priest gets a, this guy gets a horse and he says, uh, thanks be to, thanks be to Christ makes the horse move. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess like amen or, or something like that makes the, the horse stop. Right. So the guy gets on the horse and he says like, uh, thanks be to God or something like that. And the horse like starts bolting. Right. And he's trying to get the horse to stop. Right. And the horse won't, won't stop. And he's like getting close to a cliff and he like just shows, hey, man, like the horse stops. He's like, oh, thanks be to God. And the horse goes off the cliff. Um, is there a a joke from a, a, a comedian that you wish you could steal or a joke that you saw and you were like, I wish I could tell that joke. I wish that was my joke. You wouldn't be stealing it. It's another yeah. dimension. So it's like all good. You just have this joke. It's in your act whenever comedy, uh, live comedy returns. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Jerry Seinfeld had a bit where he I think it was like this five minute bit about Pop-Tarts. Mm, yes. I was like, I watched this bit and I was like, you know, like whenever you're coming up as a comic, it, like especially at open mics, everybody's trying to be like super edgy and being like, like play with a line. Right. And then you start learning that you don't get really booked if you're going blue all the time. Like, yeah. you know, you, you got to be clean. Uh, so like I was trying to learn how to be clean. And like I watched Jerry Seinfeld tell a five minute joke about Pop-Tarts. And I was like, if this guy could tell a five minute joke about pop tarts, you can tell a joke about anything, right? I mean that that has to be one of my favorite like uh, you know bits that, of, is, uh, as of late, yeah. Ironically, I mentioned it last episode because interviewing Brian Regan, who's one of the 
one of two other comedians who also has Pop-Tart jokes. Oh, so yeah. Brian Regan has a very good Pop-Tart joke. And Paula yeah. Poundstone has a very famous Pop-Tart joke where it's just her talking about what it's like to go through a box of Pop-Tarts. Yeah, It's, yeah. it's an oddly uh, comedy-inspiring um, food source. Is there anyone you have a comedy crush on in so much as you have a crush on their comedy? Crush on their comedy as far as like... Uh, like Whatever you think that means. Whatever I think that is. I mean... I I love I love Bill Burr. I mean I I love Chappelle. I love Chris Rock. They're like my foundation, like yeah. Chris Rock and stuff, like uh, Eddie Murphy and Jerry Seinfeld. But for some reason, Bill Burr, like uh, those inter- even those interviews he would do with Conan, like uh, <laughs> I I just laugh at everything Bill Burr says. You know, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's good. And then so uh, last one, do you have a a, a joke? Or or anything you've done comedically that you thought was really really funny, and then you put it in front of an audience in whatever format, and the audience was like, "That's not funny." Like truly, a thing that that you bombed so hard in any way that you think is the funniest thing you did, you'll go to your grave being like, "That was so funny." They were wrong, um, but <laughs> well, maybe you've given up on it. It's funny because it's actually a whole story. The story itself, I think, is kind of funny, but. Uh... So uh, I don't know. It's just like PG. Can I tell the? the yeah, the... You, no, you can say whatever you want. Yeah, you can curse. Okay, so I, I actually I, I I did this story at Eastville one time, and it, it didn't do that well. But <laughs> uh, so basically, I I had to rent a car one time to go uh, travel to like uh, I was going to drive from New York to Florida, and uh, you know my myself and my my ex we were we found this place in Jersey that was like really cheap. And, uh, and I had the brilliant idea of eating some weed brownies before going. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, that, that was, I mean, that was fine. We, we did everything we, right. We got, uh, we rented the car, but then like, uh, I, I, I really had to go to the bathroom mm. and it, it's just such a, an embarrassing story. I don't <laughs> even know why I'm telling you this, but, uh, <laughs> this was this, this bombed, this bombed completely whenever I would tell this story, but I, you know, we were stuck. In like five o'clock traffic in the middle of Manhattan, trying to get back to Brooklyn from yeah. from Jersey, and I really had to go. Uh, so I, I ended up. We had no bottles in the car. We had nothing in the car. So I I, I took off my sneaker and I, I went in my sneaker. So that's that's that that bombed. That bombed. Whenever I told that story, <laughs> I tried it a couple times it bombed and. Uh, I mean, it's it's an awful story, but it's true. It happened. <laughs> I feel like it's perfect in this situation, so I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jesse. That's it for another episode of Good One. You can watch Deaf Noodles at youtube.com slash Noodles. Follow Dennis on social media at GoWithDennis. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, Hannah Rosen, and Camila Salazar. Gotham Shrikashen did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. And if you haven't, please check out my new Patreon podcast, The Specials. Good Run is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday with Fortune Feemster. Have a good one. Support for this episode of Good One came from the Wondery Podcast WikiHole. WikiHole takes listeners on a wild journey through the most bizarre catacombs of everyone's favorite crowdsourced online encyclopedia. Listen to host Darcy Carden and her funniest comedian friends dive deep into the obscure, the absurd, and the curiously inane. 
there's truly something for everyone with a taste for oddly fascinating information. Whether you're interested in Crystal Pepsi, Lenny Kravitz, or how Cardin's fear of dolphins connects to Stetson hats. Follow Wikihole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Wikihole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work.